Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's so important as we come to this new section in the book of Romans to not forget all that we've read prior. I beseech you, therefore, in light of the first 11 chapters of Romans, by the mercies of God, we're to respond to the mercies of God and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice uh, to God. So let's review the first 11 chapters real quick, okay? Where did we start in the book of Romans? With our depravity. Paul spent three chapters laying out our sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But after seeing our depravity that we can't save ourselves, the truth of Scripture is that we're justified freely by God's grace through faith. Declared righteous, that's justified, as we trust in the finished work of Christ, the blood of Jesus, our sin is removed for us. We're forgiven. That's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God, the goodness of God. Romans 5.8 told us, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love towards us and Christ died for us. Good, good news. Romans chapter 6, that the power of sin is broken. Last night we celebrated baptisms inside instead of outside. We got rained out, but 33 people got baptized and to be able to celebrate God's work in their life. And baptism represents that all of our sin is buried with Christ and we're risen in newness of life. The penalty of sin is broken, but the power of sin is broken in our lives as well. Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We spent three chapters studying God's heart for the nation of Israel as an illustration of those truths. God's working all things together for good. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is the mercy of God. This is the grace of God. His goodness that's ever present in our lives. Now we get to respond to it. Belief comes before behavior. If we understand the goodness of God, the grace of God, and we believe his love for us, that's going to affect our behavior. But don't make Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, responsibility. I have to do these things in order to earn God's favor. If I present myself as a living sacrifice to God, maybe he'll love me. Maybe I'll have the assurance of salvation. Maybe I'll have God's blessing in my life. It's the exact opposite. You already have God's blessing in your life as a believer. You have forgiveness of sins. He's proven his love. And we simply get to respond to the goodness of God to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. I suggest to you that mercy is the greatest motivator. That love is the greatest motivator. It's not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And as he loves us unconditionally, it moves us to want to respond. This is important to Paul. He says, I beseech you, not a word we use every day. It's to urge, to come alongside and urge. Have you, have you ever had anybody come alongside of you and say, hey, this is really important for you. I urge you to, to do this. And, and Paul's saying this is important to respond to the mercies of God by presenting your body as a, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This idea of sacrifice, it does take us back to the Old Testament. All of the animal sacrifices that were given to, to the Lord, 
But now it's different. It's not a, a dead animal on an altar. It's a life. It's a living sacrifice. It's been said, rightfully so, the problem with a living sacrifice is we can climb off the altar. We surrender to the Lord. God, I worship you. I present my life to you. And wouldn't that be nice if, if that was it? But the reality of it is, is we drift, we get distracted. So this is daily saying, God, I am giving my body to you in worship. I'm presenting my, my body to you in worship. I'm giving you my eyes. I want my eyes to glorify you and what I behold. I'm giving you my ears. I want to listen to you. I want to, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear things that, that glorify you. My mouth, oh, so important. Lord, my mouth gets me in so much trouble. I surrender my tongue to you today. Would you take a hold of my tongue through the power of your, your Holy Spirit? My mind, I dedicate my mind to you. I give you my hands, my feet, my whole entire being to you. I'm presenting it to you. We're going to place ourselves on some altar. It's either going to be on the altar of worship unto Jesus, or we'll choose other things to worship. I think in our culture, in 2022, the altar of choice is selfishness. That's where we go. We're going to serve ourselves. We're going to worship ourselves. And it takes a lot of different forms but that's really the heart of it is selfishness. And haven't you come to discover that selfishness is just the worst? Like if we worship ourselves, that's going to lead to death and destruction. But worshiping God is absolute freedom. This is where the abundant life is found when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we place ourselves on the altar of Christ. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you're, you're going uh, to find it. Presenting ourselves as a, a living sacrifice to the Lord. And we're called to be holy and acceptable to the Lord. Choosing to follow him. Choosing to, to walk in his ways. Which is your reasonable service? The word reasonable means logical or rational. I think of Peter. And Peter comes to Christ with an answer. Jesus asked this question after he fed the 5,000. Jesus gave a hard teaching that many people didn't want to receive. He looks at Peter and says, are you disciples going to leave me as well? And Peter responds and says, no, we're going to continue to follow you, Jesus, because you alone have the words of life. It's reasonable. It's logical. It makes sense for us to follow you, Jesus, because you alone have the words of life. And it is logical, it's reasonable when we think about what Jesus has done for us, his proven character, his love for us. Why would we not want to surrender to him? Why would we not want to be that living sacrifice? The word service, it means worship. In some Bible translations, it's translated as such, your, your reasonable act of worship. Singing to the Lord is worship, what we just did together. What a beautiful time of worship, recognizing God's faithfulness and him ruling and him reigning, the, the Lamb of God. But worship doesn't stop here, does it? This doesn't stop when we sing and when we read the word. It, it's the way that we live our life. It's the way that we treat one another in our families. It's our work ethic when we go to work. It, it's the way that we treat our neighbor. All of that is, is worship unto the Lord. It, it's being that living sacrifice 
And do not be conformed uh, to this world. Uh, Several years ago at our house, we got some concrete poured, a concrete uh, patio. And when the concrete workers came out, they they build a form. Some of you may do that for a living or or seen that. You get your two by fours and, and you're really controlling where the concrete is going to go. The world has an agenda. And the call is don't be conformed to the world's mold. Don't take on the form. In John's epistle, he said the world is this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For those that don't know Christ as their Savior, that's the marching orders. I'm living for what I see, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the the pride of life. But God doesn't want us to be conformed to his image. In responding to God's mercies, first we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. But church, there is something to reject, and it is the message of the world. And the message of the world is coming across loud and clear. The world's not hiding its its, uh, agenda. Check out Disney+. Plus. Check out Netflix. I was watching a little bit of Nickelodeon on Saturday morning with Wyatt, my son, not just for myself. (laughs) But there was a a commercial that came on about Nickelodeon celebrating Pride Month and, and went into this diatribe of their message that doesn't line up with the Bible. And my intent is not to offend you, but my intent is to stand with Scripture. And God has a definition of sexuality. And this commercial was geared towards young kids. Like, Wyatt had aged out of who this commercial was geared towards, three- and four-year-olds. So for us as parents, we really have to be paying attention. It's going to be in public school books. It's going to be in books at the library. It's going to be on Netflix. It's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Everywhere you go, this message is saying, hey, th- this is normal. This, this is the, the design. And well, wait a second. God says the design is God created us male and female, that marriage is between a man and a woman. So we have to understand, okay, I've got I've to reject the message of the world, and that's just one area that's targeted towards our kids. We're probably being bombarded with this message more than we even realize to try to get our uh, priorities. And so it's really important to say, I'm going to reject the world's mold. It's part of the Christian life. It's part of what God calls us into. I know this is a little bit of a shock for our system. It's a shock for for my system that the truth of Scripture is so countercultural, but the Bible has always been countercultural. And the Bible changes and transforms culture. And many countries throughout the world have lived in this reality If I accept Christ as my Savior, offer myself as a living sacrifice, I'm having to go against culture. We don't do this in anger. We don't do this in pride. We do this in humility. But we do it in obedience unto the Lord as as I'm not going to be conformed to the world's mold. J.B. Phillips says this, I don't care what the world is doing. I'm not going to let it squeeze me into its mold. I like how he said that. The world's trying to squeeze us into its mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we know that the world's trying to squeeze us into its mold? Through knowing the truth of Scripture. We get our minds renewed by the knowledge of God. 
Do you find in worship, as you sing to the Lord, your mind is renewed? Do you find yourself in studying the word together on a Sunday morning, your, your mind is renewed? As you read God's word personally, pick a book of the Bible and, and read through it. Maybe you've got a devotional that explains scriptures. Your, your mind is renewed. And the scripture says that we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's metamorphosis. It's a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. The change that we desire for God to do in our lives, it really happens with our minds. The battle is won and lost with our minds, isn't it? The mind is so important. Your character is going to go the direction of your thoughts. Do you ever just go through the day after being bombarded by the world and your own sinful flesh, and you're like, my brain just needs an old-fashioned scrubbing. It just needs to be washed needs to, to be renewed. Jesus showed us as he was being tempted in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights alone, fasting, no food. Satan comes to him and is tempting him with the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. How did Jesus overcome? He quoted small sections of scripture and he said those scriptures out loud. For us to have a life that is in the word of God, one of the ways I think that Satan attacks us the most is this idea that we can't understand the Word of God or the Word of God is not for today. If you know Christ is your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you can study the Word of God. When there has been revival amongst God's people, there's been a stirring for God's Word, a love for God's Word saying, I've got to make sure to find time to be in God's word for my mind to be renewed because that's where the transformation takes place. We're beholding who God is revealed in scripture. I love 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. It says, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. Did you catch that? As we behold the glory of God, we're transformed. We're changed. We behold the glory of God in the word of God. We're renewed in our minds. That you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. This is the result of being a living sacrifice. This is what naturally comes as we place ourselves on God's altar. We choose to not be conformed to the world we're being renewed in God's word, then we're able to prove what is the good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you ever have a math teacher that made you prove your answers? The worst, right? I was just so excited I got the right answer. It's like, is that enough? No. How did you get the right answer? You didn't do the problem correctly. Now I think there's apps that you can just scan the problem and it'll Hopefully your student doesn't know about that, but they probably do. They probably do. Here the promise of God is that you'll be able to prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. What does God want? What does God desire? How does he want me to be living my life? Who, who is he? That all comes from the word of God. As our minds renewed in the word of God, we go, the will of God's not a mystery. I know what God would have for me. And again, not in pride or arrogance, but I can prove it. I can open up the scriptures and say, this is what God desires for my life. 
oftentimes with the will of God, I think we focus too much on the superficial elements of God's will. Like, should I work at Chick-fil-A? Should I work at Chipotle or Smashburger? Hmm. All good choices, right? <laughs> Do they offer free lunch when I work, right? Well, is it God's will? I need to know, is it God's will for me to, to work at, at one of those places? And I think we should seek God in all areas of our lives. And he may really direct you for one reason or another that this is, this is the place that you're supposed to work. But according to the scriptures, you know what God's more concerned about with than where we work is who we are at work. In the New Testament, we see verses that say this is the will of God. And one of them is to be thankful. When you're thankful, you're in the will of God. That's God's desire for your life. Also to live in, in sexual integrity. God's design for sex, that's you're living inside of God's will. That has more to do with who you are than where you work. Lord, is it your will for me to drive a, a Honda Accord or a Chevy Cruze? Obviously a Honda Accord, right? <laughs> I, love, I love Hondas, right? No, I, there's no chapter and verse that God says, hey, you should choose the, the Honda Accord though they were all in one accord in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, there's no chapter and verse. It's like, man, you pray about it, see what God provides. But I think God's a lot more concerned with, with who I am as I'm driving. Probably doesn't want me screaming, you stupid idiot, you know, like, where did you learn to drive? Probably not in the will of God in that moment. So, so the will of God is much more about who we are and being in relationship with the Lord than what car we drive or, or where we go to work. But as we're in the word of God, then we know what the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God is. Really freeing in this discussion is Psalms 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of, of your heart. Put the Lord first, love him, delight in him, and an amazing thing's going to happen is he's going to put his heart into your heart. And the things that you desire line up with the will of God. He works within you to will and do his good pleasure. It may be as simple if you can say, I'm delighting in the Lord, then what's on your heart? That could be the will of God. Make sure it's biblical. Make sure it lines up with, with scripture. But God has placed his will upon your heart. You have that assurance of the good and perfect will of God. These next few verses put some feet or flesh or some practicality to how it looks to be a living sacrifice. For I say through grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. If we're responding to God's mercy and his grace, we haven't earned or deserved salvation. This should affect the way that we think of ourselves. Well, we're not prideful. We're not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. I like this quote from Amy Carmichael. It says, those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. Because <laughs> if you think it through, it's pretty clear. I'm a sinner. I I've fallen short. God has given me grace. And because he's given me grace, I want to glorify the Lord. I want to thank him for every good and perfect gift that has come into my life. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so instead of thinking in a prideful manner, we're thinking soberly. 
soberly means to be honest or accurate, not fanciful. This protects us from this loser mentality. That's the opposite of, of being prideful is going too far to this other degree of just walking around with this, this loser complex. Thinking soberly is thinking biblically about ourselves is I am a sinner whom God loves, whom God created, who died for me and has a plan for my life. I'm, I'm thinking accurately. I'm thinking soberly. Verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, but also the members do not have the same function. So if you're following the flow of the text, here we're to be living sacrifice, pouring ourselves out in worship. Well, what does that really mean? It means we're going to serve one another. It's we're going we're gonna to serve brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Paul goes into this reality that our service, we have a physical body that has a lot of different members. What if your physical body was all thumbs, literally? Like all we were is giant thumbs. Would we be walking around? Reminds me of this song my, my mom used to sing when I was little. Here comes Thumpkin, here comes Okay. My mind goes crazy places while I'm teaching, but I mean, what if your body was just a, a thumb? It wouldn't be functional at all. And inside of the body of Christ, God has given us diversity, where we have different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses, different spiritual gifts that have been given by the Lord. And we don't have all of the same function. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be somebody else. I started senior pastoring here at Rocky Mountain Calvary when I was when I was 27 years old. And it was really easy for me to try to be like other pastors. And I would listen to their messages and go, okay, I'm I'm gonna try to do what they did. And man, it's really hard to be somebody that you're not, isn't it? And it took me a while to start to be comfortable in my own skin. Maybe you're looking around at the body of Christ and, and you're like, man, I, I want to be like them. And it's a mentor. It's someone who's invested in you. And it's good to learn from their character, but you're never going to be them. You don't have the same personality. You don't have the same giftings. And the body of Christ is short-changed if you're not who God has created you to be, who God has designed you to be. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. So there is diversity, but there's also unity. Our physical bodies have a, a tremendous unity, don't they? I mean, what if your fist just decided that I'm going to just punch my face? I don't like my face. That's counterproductive. It's like, dude, you need counseling for sure. Like, it's not normal for you to be punching yourself in, in the face, right? And as the body of Christ, though we have different members, there's a unity because we're all connected to the head, Jesus, and we have the same goal as we love one another and walk in unity to display the love of Jesus Christ to a lost and, and dying world. For many of us, we might be in this place in our relationship with God where we go, I love Jesus, but I really don't like God's people. I want to be a living sacrifice unto Christ, but I really don't want to invest in other believers. But as we fall in love with Christ, we're going to love what he loves. And he loves us. And so as we grow in Christ and mature in Christ, it's this willingness to say, 
I want to see my life used to encourage believers and reach out to unbelievers. So in the next few verses, there's a few spiritual gifts that God has given. This is not a, an exhaustive list, but it's, it's a few of the gifts. Having then the gifts differing according to grace that is given to us, let us use them. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're instructed that all of us have received spiritual gifts. So you've received, by God's grace, a spiritual gifts. You have giftings in your personality, natural gifts, but you also have spiritual gifts given to us by grace. The exhortation is use them. Use those gifts to build up the body. Use those gifts to reach out to unbelievers. There's a joy that comes from using the gifts and talents that God has given to you. Eric Little, Chariots of Fire, the story of a man who was a great runner. And his Olympic event took place on Saturday, and he was convicted to not run on the, the Sabbath, or excuse me, on Sunday. He was celebrating Sabbath on, on Sunday. So he ran a, an event that he hadn't trained for, and he ended up winning the gold. But he also had a heart for missions, and he eventually became a missionary. And there was one point when he was training for the Olympics where his sister pretty much scolded him and was like, why are, why are you spending all this time running when you could be on the mission field? And he said this, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When you're doing what God has made you to do, you feel his pleasure, don't you? It's, it's just, you can't really put a price tag on it. God's gifted me at this, given me natural talent, given me some spiritual gifts to this. And, and so we're blessed. There's joy that comes in our lives as we serve inside of those gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy is proclaiming the word of God in strength, but it also has to do with the future. Sometimes God will give a supernatural word of prophecy. We, we see that in the book of Acts. And it takes faith to operate inside of that gift. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. Ministry simply means serving. This is a spiritual gift from the Lord to serve and to meet needs. That may be how you're wired and what you're gifted to do. You're able to see needs. And as you see those needs, you're able to fulfill those needs. And that's a blessing to the Lord. Others who teach in teaching. Some of you are wired in teaching, in teaching God's word, in instructing on things of life. The way that you think is how does things work and how can I explain that to someone else? So operate inside of that gift of, of teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, exhortation is encouraging someone to take the next necessary step. An exhorter can see you're stuck and you need to take that step. How many times have we been blessed by an exhorter in our lives that have come alongside of us and said, look, you got to take this step and I'm going to hold you accountable to it. He who gives with liberality. Some of you just love to give gifts. You're good at it. You can take time to go, man, this gift would really bless this person. This person is in need. Do it with generosity. Do it with liberality. That, that's a tremendous gift that, that God has given. And, and everybody loves a giver. 
And if you have the gift of exhortation, you might not be as popular. But if you got the gift of giving, man, you're going to be loved. He who leads with diligence, a spiritual gift of leadership to lead uh, God's people, to lead in different aspects of of society. Do it with diligence. Don't get slack or, or lazy in that leadership. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy is compassion. And show that compassion with cheerfulness. Sometimes when someone has the gift of mercy, broken and hurting people are drawn to them And it can be tough to care for them with cheerfulness over the long haul. So if you have the gift of mercy, ask the Lord to give you strength to where you can continue to show mercy with cheerfulness. Because it doesn't feel very good if someone is giving you compassion, but there lacks cheerfulness. They're like, oh, I guess I've got to be merciful to you because that's my spiritual gift. But I'm kind of bummed out about it, you know. It's like, man, show that compassion with cheerfulness. I think it's easy for us to wrestle with, well, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Three, three quick things. First is talk to God about it. Go, okay, according to Ephesians 4, you've given me a spiritual gift. I don't know what that gift is, so would you please show it to me and start to talk to the Lord about it. The second is start serving believers. Uh, today, right after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to turn the facility into a great place for kids. We got 600 kids coming to VBS. We could use you. If you want to come back after the 11 o'clock service, about 1230, many hands make light work. Man, it'll, it'll be a blessing. Start, start serving. Come to church with this attitude of going, wow, what are some needs that need to be met? And in the process of serving, you're going to start to discover what your spiritual gift is. Some of you are really wired to be a protector. You come to church and you think about, is everybody safe while they're here? Volunteer for our security team. We could use more of you in in this. It's important. There's a lot going on in, in our world. But you will start to discover what you're gifted in as you serve. Old saying, it's hard to steer a parked car. Once the car starts to get momentum, it's, it's e- easier to steer especially before power steering, right? If you've ever tried to steer a car without power steering, once it's moving, it's a lot easier. Be a living sacrifice based on God's mercy and start serving. And as you serve, you'll begin to identify your spiritual gifts. And the third is this. How do you respond to a situation? Let's say there's a car accident in the parking lot, which does happen here at church, in the church parking lot, always awkward, right? You all came to church, you worshiped, you heard the word, getting out into the parking lot, rubber meets the road, quite literally. There's, there's a fender bender. You happen to see it, it happen. How do you respond to that situation? If you have the gift of mercy, you're probably like, is everybody okay? Oh, I feel so bad for you. And you're giving compassion and maybe you're even weeping with someone who's, who's weeping. Well, if you're an exhorter, you're going to respond completely differently. You're going to be like, what? You were on your phone? <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what. Get off your phone. And if you get off your phone, you're not going to be hitting people in the church parking lot, right? Well, you got the gift of exhortation, and that person needed to hear that. It would help you to, to get off of your phone. And then for some of you, you've got the, 
the gift of, of teaching, and you're like, you know, I noticed the way that you were approaching the accelerator. <laughs> it, it, was, it was just a little bit wrong, and it, if you would do it like this and use the brake like this, and you really needed to have both hands on the steering wheel, it's a little different than exhortation. It, it's teaching. It's providing the, the necessary information. But others of you are like, you know what? I think I want to help them get their car fixed. I'm, I... I, I want to give 100 bucks. I'm going to give 200 bucks. I'm, I'm just going to bless them. I know there's going to be a need. I know there's going to be a deductible. Then you have the spiritual gift of, of giving. So please hear this. At Rocky Mountain Calvary, we need your service here. We need your service here. Maybe you've been coming for a while, and you're like, well, it's a larger church. All the needs are met. Not true, right? There's plenty of opportunities. Everything that you see happening here is a way to be able to serve. And I think that church becomes w- much more meaningful for us, much more joyful as we begin to serve. So check out the volunteer application on the website, fill that out, and allow the Lord to lead you. But also remember, these spiritual gifts to build up the body are, are not just for organized church. You following me? So use these gifts with believers that you're in relationship with. Allow the Lord to identify them and and begin to to use them. Being in small groups, you'll begin to be in relationship. You have your own fellowship outside of an organized uh, small group. And as we're operating in these gifts, then the body is healthy. And as the body's healthy, then we can be that witness uh, to the world. Would you stand with me and let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us bring application. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, your favor towards us. Jesus, that you would die for our sins and rise again, that you love us unconditionally. May we be rooted and grounded in your love and have the joy of responding to your mercy. We choose to be living sacrifices afresh, to surrender our bodies to you, to follow you. Help us to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thank you for the reality of being able to serve one another. Give us a heart to serve one another. Would you show us what our gifts are? So would you bring application to your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.